everybody, and welcome to episode four of Pod Return to the Waking Sands, a weekly journey through the lore of Final Fantasy XIV. I am Jen, and I am joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hi, Levi. Hello, Jen. Hello. Why is your voice so deep? This is my intro voice. Oh, I see. That's very special. Thank you for showing up. I ease us into the episode. The episode about thaumaturges. Thaumaturge, as far as I know, is a class that was created for Final Fantasy XIV specifically as the starting class for the future aspiring Black Mage. In this game, Thaumaturges wield a staff. They can also use a scepter and shield, but as the game goes on, they phase out the scepter and shield option. So really, staff is the only option. Yeah, you get a a one-handed staff and a shield at, what, like level 10 or something. And it looks really weird as a as a thaumaturge slash black mage. You can see little baby thaumaturges and conjurers running around with that shield that's like a bunch of planks nailed together. It's very rudimentary. I mean, you have a nice staff that is made um, probably by a very skilled carpenter or a goldsmith or a blacksmith. And then you, you have this fifth grade attempt at... Nah, fifth grader I think would be a lot better at it. Um, it's a bunch of planks just zip tied together and that's your shield. It would be an interesting build option if you were like, okay, so I want to have extra defense with the shield or I want to have extra offense with like the two-handed staff. But ultimately in group content, your thaumaturge slash black mage should never be being attacked directly. Um, That's it. Yeah. It's just, it's confusing. In the beginning, it's all about making sure that you are away. If you think you're going to be overwhelmed in battle, run. Um, don't try to take on too many enemies at once. Um, flee, remain hidden. It's it's all about being offensive with your defense, um, and not necessarily. It, it's it's not until the very end of the the quest line that they actually embrace the fact that they're just uh, uh, conjurers of immense destructive force. You mean thaumaturges of immense destructive force, not to be confused with the conjurer class. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yes. So to understand thaumaturgy in this game, we'll have to talk about the elements. Some of them, yeah. Well, yes, they only wield half of them, but also may as well talk about all of them if we're talking about some of them. (laughs) Sure. So welcome to our elements section here. Yay! In the world of Final Fantasy XIV, there are six elements. They are fire, water, earth, wind, lightning, and ice. And the Thaumaturge wields half of these, fire, ice, and lightning. Uh, However, though, as an extra complicating factor, there are also two aspects to each element. There is astral and umbral. When do you get your little gauge that that tracks um, umbral versus astral? Immediate. Immediately? Well, it tracks umbral ice versus astral fire, to be more specific. No, it, yeah, because astral is always associated with fire. Umbral is always associated with ice. For the thaumaturge. Yes. Um, but, and lightning isn't tracked on your gauge. Correct. But you get that ASAP. I'm pretty sure level one, you roll out the door and, and have these elements, which you don't know what they mean yet when you see them. But you can see when you cast fire spells that you begin to take up the little fire crystals on your gauge. And same thing for ice. Yes. Um, fire is more potent, but it is more expensive. The astral aspect denotes activity and volatility. So astrally charged fire would be burning, whereas umbral denotes passiveness and stillness. Umbrally charged fire would be 
dry like dry desert air, for instance. That would be an umbral effect where it's not actually you know spreading or consuming things, but it's still present. The desert is charged in umbral fire either. Too much of one would result in total stillness. Correct. And some elements lean naturally towards one or the other aspects. For instance, the thaumaturge relies heavily on umbral ice and astral fire. So, I mean, that's that's your bread and butter as a as a thaumaturge, uh, as a as a black mage, is managing the the back and forth between fire and ice. But uh, fire is the is the most damaged, but it's the most expensive. In and, terms of MP, right? Which is magic points. Sure. Mana points, mana points, and then uh, ice is that replenishes your your MP, um, but they're slightly less uh, uh, powerful. It's a, a cycle of activity and and rest essentially, where when you are fire aspected, you're gonna burn, 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 and deal that big damage, but then you burn yourself out and you run yourself dry, and you have to switch to umbral ice to recover your MP. Yeah. And you try to run through your ice phase as quickly as possible so that you just can jump back into fire. That's basically like you fire as long as possible and you exhaust every uh, skill that you have in order to keep that fire train going as long as possible. And then for, for just a perfunctory amount of time, you get ice, get your MP back, and it's back to fire. The Thaumaturge and Black Mage classes are probably the most complex class in the game because you have to manage your elements, your MP, and... Most spells have long cast times, which means you need to make sure that you're in a safe place for long enough to finish casting your spell. Otherwise, you'll have to interrupt your own cast and reposition yourself to not get stomped by some attack. Yeah, it is It is not a mobile class. It's very It's very complex in trying to maximize all of your skills. Every 10 to 20 levels, the, the class kind of reinvents itself with oh new mechanics being God, added. Oh my God, this is so true. I And and I'm saying this as a... As a I, I chose Black Mage as my very first job, um, first job in an MMO at all, first job in Final Fantasy at all. I'm like, this sounds really cool. Of course it sounds cool. That's how they get you. Periodically, you'll get a brand new mechanic that you, you unlock as you level up, and that will give you a whole new way to use your elements or a new mechanic to extend your fire phase or whatever, and that'll upset your whole deal and make you have to refigure out the optimal way to execute your spells before you shift back to the ice phase. Yeah, every single time you get a new, not every single time, but it seems like it. You get a new skill and now you've got to shuffle around your hotbar and you have to re reimagine your rotation to try to figure out how does this fit in? Does it need to fit in? Story-wise, in Final Fantasy XIV, Thaumaturges are integral to Ulda and its history. We recall that the descendants of the Vakian black mages were the ones to divine water in the deserts of Thanalan and found Belladia. Because of black magic's role in the calamity of that era, black mages went underground and integrated themselves into the worship of one of the twelve, and so Thaumaturgy was born. Jen, after having done research for this episode here, I think I found a misprint in the Encyclopedia Eorzea. No. And, uh... That resulted in a misreporting on our part on our Ulda episode. Oh, for shame. <laughs> so when we were talking about Ulda's founding earlier, the word was that the black mages integrated themselves into the worship of Azema as a way to revive the use of black magic in a socially acceptable way. 
However, everything I found for this episode suggests actually that the order of Nalthal was the religion that they integrated themselves into. So I think that the encyclopedia has a misprint there, and um, it is actually the um, priesthood of, of Nalthal that adopted black magic into its practice. And we can see even today that the thaumaturges and the Nalthal priests are thoroughly enmeshed with one another. And there is no sign whatsoever of Azema. Yep, definitely. Uh, especially because uh, the the way they legitimized black magic or, or thaumaturgy um, back in the day was by using it for, for burial rites, to cleanse the dead, to prepare the dead for the afterlife. So the uh, the arcane magics used in the preparation of dead of the dead were, were um, blizzard. And this is this is directly from the uh, the guild receptionist. Uh, blizzard to halt corruption, fire to cleanse the corpse, and lightning to expel the sins of mortal life. That seems very nice. I mean, violent, but very nice. I, I don't think they like <laughs> torch the entire corpse. Right? They're clean. I mean. They can, you know, I'm dead. I don't care. Go, go nuts. I'm sure their family may care if they receive like a burnt pile of ashes when they're expecting a preserved body for their, their crypt. Maybe. But I, w- I would, I would expect a, a high level uh, black mage to know how to uh, pull their punch. You know, for maybe, that... you know, I want, I want big visual effects at my funeral. If they can handle that and not burn me to a crisp at the same time, I'm pretty sure they could handle that. It'd be a thaumaturge though. Black magic is outlawed. Let's not forget. Oops. Yep. Just kidding. I'm in Also, <laughs> as you level up, your spells get bigger, I think, not smaller. So you might want That's a low true. level It's very visually impressive. in it's, your funeral. It's so cool. We, we also see um, that same receptionist. She really does not try and keep this secret. You know, you walk in the door saying, hey, I want to be a thaumaturge. And she's like, okay, welcome. By the way, we have this secret order here that practices the um, essentially descendant of black magic. Don't tell anyone, but I'm telling you, random person who walked in the door. <laughs> like great thank you for trusting me a stranger with this immense secret thaumaturge can be used to denote a spiritual person that works miracles and there's nothing that is inherently religious about thaumaturgy in final fantasy 14 but we can see here again that they conflate his practice with the priesthood of nalthal and use it in this very kind of formalized ceremonial manner right to start our journey today, we're going to be heading over to the Thaumaturges Guild, which is located in the Ossuary in Ulda. We go to meet with the guild leaders right away. These are five Lalafell brothers named Kokobuki, Kokoboha, Kokobezi, Kokobani, and Kokobigo. So. No. No? That, that's the hidden seventh brother. Kokopuffy. Is Kokopuffy. There are, though, whispers of a sixth brother. Uh, yes. And they usually go by their uh, the, the latter half of their name and not like, it's, you know, Buki, Boha, I don't know, to right. keep it simple. Like, it, the nickname for them is like Boha or uh, Baigo. They're very cute. They all have different face paint or other, you know, facial uh, decorations. They still look like a cult, though. They're all wearing black robes with red hoods the, on them. The four of them, yes. The guild master has a, a different costume entirely. He looks very, very edgy. He's got the, well, I think they all have these like... Um, metal claw gloves that give them these pointed claw-like looking hands. But Buki, the guildmaster, he's got an all-black cloak with metal accents. It's very, very dark nighty, actually. These guys, they're all the guild leaders here, or guildmasters, and there's like the senior one. 
um, Buki is is the oldest brother and also the the person who speaks for them if they ever need to make a statement. And they're all a bit too excited about the destructive aspects of thaumaturgy. Yeah, there's less um, mention of of Nald Thal and the worship thereof. You mean no mention period from these guys, right? And and more the worship of the just pure destruction that they wield at their fingertips. They got like the the official business in front, which is the the temple of Nalthal, and then in the back is the Thalmaturgist Club where they blow just stuff up. Gleefully blowing things up, yes. Yep. So first off we get our standard go kill things quest. You know, nothing big. Uh, good way to practice your two spells, your fire one and ice one spell. <clears throat> After that we're tasked with learning the lessons in the Tome of Thaumaturgy, the Yawning Abyss, pinned by Zozo Maya. Mm-hmm. The the receptionist kind of puts the fear of God in you right away. And she's like, you know, normally when we, we get a new recruit, we want them to read all 108 massive tomes of uh, taumaturgy, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, but now we just kind of use practical exercises. I'm like, oh, oh, great. Okay, cool. I'm it's, so glad I've joined this this modern version of the taumaturg school of blowing shit up. It's an easier entry requirement, but as we get implied heavily over the course of these quests, that many aspiring thaumaturges die in the deserts. You know, every time you go back from a quest, you're like, oh, you didn't die. Congratulations. So maybe there should be a bit of a higher entry exam to avoid all these casualties. That's possible. But it also could be um, maybe people getting a little too ahead of themselves. Um, maybe putting a little too much faith in their in their fledgling abilities. I'm going to put the blame here on the seniors in the room being the guild masters who do not properly give you vet the... their students. No. <laughs> Like you want, you're interested? Sure. Here, have your stick, have your plank shield, your scrap wood shield. All right, go and go fighting. See you. See if I see you. Uh, I mean, at, at some point, it becomes micromanaging. The first section of this tome is the threat of intimacy, which is being taught by the socially adverse Coco Bigo. This is a nice pairing of fiction and game mechanics, as the tome talks about the powers of thaumaturgy, but the dangers of physical injuries. So the lesson, of course, being is to stay as far away as possible with your spells and blow things up from a distance. Right. Your, so your arranged DPS fucking act like it. So we're going to go and lure some vultures down with some meat, and we're going to blow them up from as far away as possible. It seems kind of underhanded and shitty, but whatever. Who likes vultures? Nobody. I think that's the MO of the guild is to hide and, and attack from oh, far away. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. No, they, they want you to practice that. Like, be a, be a shitty little dick that hides behind trees and kills things. And we do just that. Yeah. And as compensation for using this merchant's property, we have to go give him our blasted vulture meat. Yes, we pay him in sorcery-blasted bird flesh. Uh, during this exchange, another Lollafell shows up. This one's an alchemist. Uh, we infer from the conversation that he's somehow tied to the guildmasters, but he storms off in a huff after he learns that we're a new thaumaturge to the guild. Even though he's angry, he's still really cute. Little little blonde-haired, little we, ragamuffin. You just gotta chuckle, I, and it's really upsetting because he has a legitimate gripe. Um, he was he was shafted in the uh, I don't know the, the, the birth lottery. He he wasn't born with. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway. Well, we find out that in two seconds, as when we go back to the guild, he stomps in again. And starts yelling at all the guild masters. Um, you guys were supposed to teach me next. Blah, 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 blah. And here's this jerk that I found over in the Silver Bazaar. Traded more vulture meat to this guy. And 
in and on and on and on and and then he breaks down crying and runs away uh, and they try to placate him they're like you know Boosie we don't want you to get hurt we're just concerned that you know we don't want you on the battlefield you blah 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 you know trying to placate him in the most patronizing way honestly yes. Oh, and that's guy. upsetting. Like, just be honest with them. I mean, they've tried that. They tried everything. He won't listen. He's, he's desperate to be a atomaturge. This fellow is Coco Busi. He is the sixth brother of the Guildmasters, and he has a very weak aether. So he's unable to wield thaumaturgical magics himself. Yeah, he just, he simply doesn't have the power within him. But he is a very, very talented alchemist. But he refuses to uh, pay homage to those innate talents of his. And he desperately wants to be like his four bigger brothers. I mean, look, I, there's there's this like five sibling brothers. Five, sorry. I mean, at least I don't know how how active their parents were. Very apparently. Um, I mean, do Lollafell parents lay a clutch of eggs? Like we don't know. I've seen one <laughs> Lollafell child in this entire game. I think that those children are microscopic. It's why you can't see them. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, anyway, uh, Boosie he runs off in tears. I know. And he's very emotional. Most of the time, actually, he's very emotional. Yes. I mean, it's hard to want something that badly and not be able to do it. Oh, yeah. You you've got re- five older brothers that are super cool. You want to do what they do. And that's, I think that's a, that's a universal uh, feeling for a lot of people with, you know, who are the youngest in the family. But the, the guild is like, you know, don't worry about him. He, he's fine, ultimately. You know, we're trying with him. And they give us our next lesson, the next section from the Yawning Abyss, which is called The Threat of Paucity. We're on now to Coco Bonnie. And this section talks about the cycle of fire and ice magic and thaumaturgy. And of course, as we know from beforehand, when we're umbrally charged, our power is diminished, but so is the drain on our aether. And in an astral state, the reverse is true. We have great power, but of course we exhaust ourselves quickly. So we're going to go and practice now switching from fire to ice on eight Fs. Um, these are essentially giant salamanders that have an electrical charge. We find these guys in a river tunnel in central Thanalan. The task itself is pretty basic, but hopefully after killing eight Fs in a row, you've had some experience with your ice and fire as you're guaranteed to run dry after that big of a body count. Yep. These big salamander looking dudes. So you'll just fire, 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 ice, ice, fire, 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 ice, ice. And you'll watch your gauge go back and forth. Do you have transpose at this point? Yes, you do. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you're fire, 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 transpose, ice, ice, transpose, yes. fire, fire. Okay. As our second lesson here under this chapter, we're given another tutorial task. Some Amalja have raided a caravan carrying some MP-restoring ether, different from aether. So the Amalja hit a, uh, an armored transport carrying a whole bunch of ether, and of course this makes the Tomaturges really, or at least the, the Guildmasters, nervous because this is this is something, this is a major tool, and they're like, oh, the ether, mm-hmm, yummy, yummy. We also grab some blood from the Amalja too for Boosie. Why not? Yeah. When we get back to the guild, the Thaumaturges have called over Boosie. Well, they, they call, they, they send him a letter, or you know, they, they reach out to him, it's like, hey, come over to the guild we got a little something for you so of course he runs over all excited you've changed your minds are you gonna let me learn homaturgy now this is amazing and like whoa whoa. no uh we have some amalgia blood for you for your experiments isn't that great like well you you set him up for disappointment there guys he knows his shortcomings and he's in denial is what it comes down to They're, they're doing their very best here to try and include him in their business and show that he can also be a team player without casting spells. 
but he refuses to accept anything but yes for an answer. What he needs is a real life example of why he cannot wield this magic because it'll literally kill him. Poor guy. So he gets his blood. It, not that that's easy to come by. Uh, you're welcome, Boosie. But yeah, he's disappointed. And we're on now to the next lesson. This one is the chapter, The Threat of Superiority. And this one is taught by Coco Bezzi. As a uh, consequence to them taking the ether that we rescued from the Amalgia, instead of redistributing it to the merchants who paid for it, they just drink it all. And now the merchants have come knocking on the door saying, what the fuck, where are our goods? As they should, because that's kind of bullshit. The lesson of the chapter here is to not engage foes that your magics can't handle. In this case, the example being... Like angry merchants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even these guys will not stoop to blowing up their debt collectors. So what do we do? We appeal to their emotions in like the worst, most manipulative way. I hate this quest so much. I, it's it, Well, so one... All three of them were lined up outside, right? Right next to one another. And they're like, rabbling outside the doors. And it's just you outside the doors facing these three angry guys. Well, one of them is a woman. Um, but, like, you you thieving, piece of crap, tomaturge assholes. You, you, you think stealing from from honest merchants is the way to, you know, and they're, they're really upset. And I think it's totally valid. But what they tell you to do, what your masters tell you to do is just cry. Cry at them. Appeal to their emotions. You you don't you can't use your words. Just cry, and so and it works. And, it, and it works, but it's hilarious. This is right on brand for the guild, where they little cowards, really. They are cowards, absolutely. Uh, so are the merchants, though. They, they'd rather do a hand kill move and like you know leave versus confront emotions. Yes. The next lesson from this chapter is um, having to go in the field and apply this to some real enemies here, not just merchants. Uh, we have to deal with our recent foes, the Alacrans. These guys have stolen a cursed relic known as Mormo's Urn. We're being put up against more than we can handle now, so true to the chapter, the threat of superiority, we're going to put some enemies to sleep rather than take them all on at once. You have to use your sleep spell on this one. You, you can't try to like murder your way through, through these guys. Sleep is a weird spell here because um, you quickly no longer need to use it in most cases. The game is set up so that in dungeons, the mechanics are that you will fight groups of enemies and that you will not have to crowd control individual enemies and fight other ones one-on-one. -on -one. You just, you know, attack a whole group at once. However, um, it does come back around to being useful in some weird corner cases, such as Palace of the Dead solo runs, which will be a much later. You have some very recent experience that speaks to that. Yes. So now we have to go find... Moromo's urn, uh, we cannot leave it in the hands of the Alacrans, obviously. Uh, so the Alacrans have it stored um, past the entrance to the Amalgia camp. So you have to kind of sneak around some Amalgias. Hopefully you don't have to kill them. I was able to sneak around successfully. So you just be very careful. So once you're past that, you're going to see, you know, the, the start of the instance. And in, the, in this instance, you're going to be faced with a series of Alacrans who are lying in wait for you. What you have to do is put them to sleep, move on to the next group, put them to sleep, move on to the next group, and do it quickly enough that you have time to get to the urn and uh, go through the interaction of um, securing it, uh, which takes a bit of time. And it, when I first did this, um, I had to do it over probably four or five times because I, I just, I think what I did was I didn't, 
I didn't realize that this was supposed to be practicing the use of sleep. You should have read The Threat of Superiority more closely, Jen. I guess so. I'm one of those assholes that shows up back at the guild dead. So anyway, uh, yeah, I would have died four times over. I, I tried to engage them in battle. It's just simply not possible because they will respawn while you're engaging the next dude in battle. And it took me forever to just figure out, no, no, no. You literally just put them to sleep, move on, put them to sleep, move on. And do it quickly enough that you can secure the urn. Anyway, so you do that. You secure the urn. And this is when Boosie pops up because he's been fucking following you. He thinks, okay, this person is pretty good. Uh, my brothers seem to think you're pretty cool. You were moments away from destroying this thing, which is yep. the whole point. And he's like, hey, 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 no, no, before you do it, can I do it? Can I do it, please? You Because he wants to prove himself to his brothers that he can party. By destroying this- an urn? I mean, yes, the, the dude is desperate. This isn't the way to, to do it, but but okay. He also gives us his history, too. And we can infer most of it because we're, we're paying attention. He took up alchemy in order to find a way to strengthen his own aether. He, he's trying to create like a really potent mana applica- amplification potion. Yes. And so far it hasn't worked on him because his levels are so pitifully low. He, he doesn't ask us. He just does it. He grabs the urn and... Everything's it, it, fine. He he was going to destroy it, but then the urn whispers to him. Great. It assures him that inside the urn is a nice void scent. Wouldn't he just consider opening it instead? Like, no, 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 no. I, I was put in here by, by evil void scent. I'm one of the good ones. Like, she sees right through his insecurities. And, of course, um, Mormo, the void scent in the urn, will do him a solid if he just opens the lid. If you If you open the lid, you know what? I bet you want something real bad. If you let me out, I'll give you that thing. Knowing, of course, he is uh, pining very much to have the level of power that his brothers have. So Mormo finds the worst person, or in this case, I guess for her, the best person possible to yeah. pick up the urn. And yeah. he's like, sure, I'll do it. And at no point, and this this bothers me, and I mean, obviously this has to happen for the story, but we... Just watch this whole thing go down. We're we're three feet away. We could kick it out of his hands. We could wrestle him, wrestle it from him. We could, you know, probably use a couple of stern words, and he would go running if away I'm crying. Being generous here, we can assume this happens kind of mentally for him. That's that's possible. A- and yeah. then, you know, when we he actually grabs a lid, we do see our character going like, "No, you don't do that." Just kind of we 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 reach out like, "Oh, oh fuck." Yep. And a little void scent colored moat enters his mouth and there's, it's an immediate change. Purple being the color of void scent, of Correct. course. Correct, yeah, the color of evil. And, um, suddenly he's kind of overwhelmed with this, this confidence that he didn't have before. I'm like, okay, cool, he's possessed. He's uh, like, well, I guess, oh, we're supposed to destroy this urn, right? And he throws it over the cliff like well fuck that was like the only thing that could contain mormo and her power i think that the urn at that point was probably useless I'm if you guessing... could get it back into her or back get her back into it the, the there was a lot of research and work that went into creating this urn to make sure that her ether and her power could be just gradually sucked away from her over the eons and without that urn now without this vessel to capture her and suck away all of her power you know, these things don't grow on trees. You can't just like order up another Mormo urn. Because yeah. we, now we have to figure out how to separate these two entities, Mormo from Boosie well, without losing Boosie. We don't because we're 
absolutely dumb as shit and we go, oh, job's done and go back to the guild. Do, 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 do. To, to be the, more kind, our characters are not genre aware enough to realize what's happened here. Cor- correct. I mean, it's not like we're that intimately acquainted with Boosie as well and his all of his neuroses. So, so we all go back and we, we're none the wiser, really. Nope. We're like, job's done. And the guild master's like, great. See you later. We come back in a few levels. When we return to the guild, Kokobuki tells us about a mage slayer that's been killing mages in Ulda and draining their etheric energy. And huh. he's relieved. He seems to be somewhat happy that we're not dead, but he probably could care less as well. He's used he, to that they're... Buki? Yeah. I, I think I would hope that Buki cares more about us than... I, I feel like we've seen so many dead recruits that... I suppose. They're, you know, this is just a, a defensive mechanism, really. Don't get, don't get attached. Don't give them names. And they're all running away, you know. Um, also, this, uh, the chapter of the book that we're, we're learning this time is Threat of Perplexity, just for the record. This is the final chapter of The Yawning Abyss. And it's time to go see Coco Boha to learn this lesson. And Boha is a big fan of alliteration. He uses it copiously. Yes. And it is annoying. And actually, um, the first Lala that we we talked to, the one who's afraid of intimacy. Baigo. They, they actually, they cringe. Like it says cringe after hearing <clears throat> Boha's alliteration. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Yujin. They also Huzzah! cringe at each other. Great. Yeah, <laughs> knock it off. Anyway, this chapter is a warning to the Thaumaturge about being threatened by multiple foes. It's kind of similar thematically speaking to the last chapter, but whatever. The main lesson here for us, though, is to put someone tougher than ourselves between us and danger if we're confronted by more that we can handle. Right. Get yourself a tank. And this time, though, Boosie rolls up, the alchemist, and offers to team up with us on this lesson. And despite being initially shot down, he says he's hired a fighter to back him up. So the guild masters are like, okay, sure. If you have a fighter here, then sure, that checks out. His Yeah, the the suggestion is to... um... Well, they, they want you to basically read, you know, study up on this. And then Boosie walks in and says, how about a practical examination in the real world? I've got a really strong, fresh lead on this Mage Slayer shit. Um, and I'm hoping that maybe, uh, you know, your, your, your student here could help me with it. And they're like, ah, that's really fucking dangerous. Also, it's you. You're not going to be able to protect her or vice versa. And he's like, yeah, no, no, no. I hired a, I hired a stalwart swordsman to help. This all, this all checks out. I'm like, okay, great. Note that this is, these are the, the four brothers. Buki isn't in on this conversation. Buki walks up and he kind of looks after us leaving the temple and goes, was that Boosie? He, something seemed off. Like it didn't, he, he didn't recognize the, the speech. So, okay, hmm. All right, Spidey's sense is tingling. Either way, though, we are heedless and we head out to go and track down these killings with Boosie and this stalwart swordsman. One of the brothers was like, maybe if you got yourself a stalwart swordsman and then we go out into the instance and that's literally the name the game has given him. Yep. Um, so we're at uh, Nufik as well. Yes, that's in Western Thanaland. It is the river basin for the river that runs. It's the river that runs through it. It's the river that runs through Western Thanaland. Okay, fine. Um, but it's very pretty down there. Anyway, so so Boosie's down there with his guy, and he's like, "All right, we found some uh, some Tomaturge corpses over there in the river. Um, if you can examine those corpses corpses and get some evidence, then uh, you know, well, we got a stew going. I'm like, great, okay. So we go, we collect some uh, trinkets from each corpse. We head back, we hand them over to Boosie, and he's like, great, great, great. Uh, this is really great. Um, 
maybe you should what is what is the next thing that he has us do so we we, we get we get the shit from the corpses it's like a book a staff and um, it's like a um amulet or like a, a bracelet yeah yeah it, essentially yeah. it's thaumaturge gear yeah um and they're like covered in blood etc like oh okay this is some good evidence Boosie being like very much a leadership role, being very bossy, and this is He tells us to go back and do to go investigate again, saying that we're bound to draw the attacker in and we do so. Ah uh, get... yes, he wants this to be used as bait. And we have to go and, and, and wait out. Obviously this the mage slayer must be around here, right? Because these are fresh corpses. So I bet I bet this mage slayer is gonna be hugely attracted to the immense etheric energy coming off of your body. And so, we get attacked by imps now as we go back. These are the most minor of the minor void scent. Yeah. Just like big-headed, flying purple guys. So there's a big one, and you start fighting the big guy, and then the swordsman comes up and starts fighting with you. Um, but then a couple couple of ads show up, two more smaller imps, and this, the swordsman says something like, um, I can't take all of these guys at once. You're going to need to put one of them to sleep. Put the big guy to sleep. Like, here we go with the sleep again. So I missed that dialogue the first time I did this, even even just like the other day for this for this recording. I totally missed that dialogue. I was fighting, 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 and then suddenly the swordsman died because I didn't put anybody to sleep, and and, and then I had to do the instance over. So we, we kill the imps if we read the text and we apply our sleep spell correctly. What the fuck, man? <laughs> the swordsman beats us back to Boosie, gets paid and heads out. Yeah, and then, I'm, I'm glad, because he was a nice guy. I, I didn't want Boosie, I, and I forgot. I'm like, does Boosie fuck with this guy? Does he kill him when he goes back to not pay him or whatever? I mean, he, he could have. We don't know he, for sure. He could have. But, but the swordsman is not rich in either, he's, he's, he's fine. He got paid. He's on to his next job. And then Boosie's like, I think you missed an imp. I saw one flying away into that <gasps> Did you dark... not see the fourth imp? He, I, he went over there. And this whole time, and I remember this the first time I did it, like, why are we going through these motions? This is, we're going to get murdered. We're, we're going we're gonna to get shanked. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. And we go, we right. go into this so, little cave where this non-existent imp has flown. And we're just like fucking idiots. We're like, doo, 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 doo. let me just go into this dark hole, bend over, look with my back facing the opening. And then, you know, the camera work shows a, a very low to the ground point of view kind of walking up slowly, sneaking up on you. And it's, it's Boosie, obviously, with this terrible grin on his face. And he, he throws an enormous dagger at your back. As it's slicing its way through the air, it is knocked out by a giant fireball. And Buki is there. And he puts his staff on his back. It's actually like the most impressive thing he, he's ever done. Um, and you're shocked. Shocked! Oh, my God, I almost, I almost died. And that's then the cat's out of the bag at that point. Um, Mormo makes it very aware that she has possessed Boosie. He lights up full of purple aether, and then he does like a, a creepy gravity reversal on the ceiling oh, yes, of the paranormal, cave. Oh, yes, paranormal activity bullshit. Yeah. On the, yeah, and he's just crawling around, and uh, he's like, well, you know, it looks like what you have done here, Buki, is be the total coward. What you should have done is knocked me down. You should have cut me down, not the dagger out of the air, because you're so afraid of killing your brother. You suck. And then he disappears. He melts into the stone itself. He, he Yeah, he's like sucked into the stone. Very impressive. Whatever. Now Buki's like, well, this is true. What I should, I, 
I went against everything I've ever been taught about taumaturgy um, and how to engage in battle. I, I should have cut him down while they had a chance. There was no risk. He didn't know I was there. So now he's, he's full of conflict. The scholars that told us about the urn in the first place may have a solution. So we head out now to eastern Thanalan to go interrogate them. Yeah, we leave Buki to his musings, um, you know, to, to wrestle with this, this, uh, this conflict of faith, so to speak. Um, however, yes, there are some scholars that have been working, the, the guys who found the urn, they've been putting together a tome about uh, Mormo and maybe possibly how to um, deal with her. So, yeah, we go out to Camp Drybone and, and look for these scholars and, and gather a couple of their sheaves of paper with their notes and to strategize on how we can get Mormo out and murdered and Boosie back to us alive and well. And we do learn some things from these tomes. We have our facts confirmed from last time about Void Scent. Uh, Mormo is too powerful of Void Scent to travel bodily into our realm, so she must project her spirit through whatever rift she came through. Mm-hmm. And her reign of terror dates back to yeah. when Sildi still stood. <laughs> Say that five <laughs> times fast. No. No, we can't. She hunted the denizens of, of that city until she was tricked into touching an urn where she became trapped until just recently. <laughs> Sucker. Her spirit was supposed to weaken over the years and then it could be dissipated by shattering the urn and shattering her spirit alongside it. Mm-hmm. However, Boosie opened the urn instead, which right. released her spirit the incorrect way. And now she's back, though still weakened yes. from her long containment. Also, she did possess a body that has like no really etheric energy to speak of. Yes. So she is, I mean, which is, it's good and bad because she can't just go around doing what she wants to do. But that does mean she has to go around killing a bunch of Tomater just to suck in their energy before uh, she can do what she wants. Yep. So now we've got a pile of corpses. That's a bummer. Anyway. We have a guild meeting with the brothers. And everyone but Buki just wants to kill Boosie and Mormo. They're like, you know, Thaumaturgy teaches us to to blast our foes and to, you know, take no chances with ourselves. So we should just kill him. It sucks, but too bad. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a, a lazy, eh, I don't know, like lazy, but more of like a complacent falling back on their teachings. Um, again, this is the cowardly route instead of trying to put the work in to figure out how we could do this. And, and in, in order to do what they want to do, somebody does have to kind of put their life on the line in order to do it, which again, goes against everything they've ever been taught. That's like the last thing you ever want to do um, is risk yourself in these situations. But that's what we got to do. Buki, the senior brother, actually decides to deny the teachings of thaumaturgy and to put himself on the line for a chance of saving their brother. So he's like, I'm rich in either. I'll offer myself to her she couldn't possibly resist this juicy bounty of ether that is is me yep so the plan is to draw her out with buki's aether and then to attack her when she is exposed Uh, so to prepare for this confrontation we are told about the secret chapter of the yawning abyss (laughs) this is a lesson even the guild masters have not undertaken so we head out to the temple to tal in eastern Thanalan. It's a Tull's Respite. Yes. Yeah. And this is essentially is a, a cave, like a, a remote cave, that has a big statue to Tall with like a, a giant curved sword on it. Um, so it's just a smaller, more remote space of worship for Tall. Yep. 
Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, you'll have a couple of scenarios in this in this um, cave as a Tomaturge slash Black Mage. Um, but the, the brothers are all there, and what they have done is um, they will be summoning Void Scent, one after the other after the other, um, basically test your metal, and, and try to put into practice this, this new strat of going on the offensive as a Tomaturge and, and, and fully embracing the power, the explosions, the blizzards, the, the crash of lightning and thunder, um, instead of pitifully running away and hiding. Brave, brave, brave. So this is really more of a like a secret final exam versus a secret chapter. And it starts with just like demonic bats, and then it goes on to being these. And suddenly you're gonna have. Oh, that's pork chop. He wants to be on the podcast. And so it goes you, on. Yeah, eventually there's just like um, there are multiple mobs, and you have to deal with multiple instead of just one after another after another. Right, but the next creatures that come out are these like slug type things, mm-hmm. um, and then finally comes the Lord of Flies, the, the big guy, the big. Uh, he looks like just like a big. You mean bee? The children, the real void scent. The what? Lord of the Flies. Have you not read that oh, book? Oh, I've absolutely read well, it. Here's what are me you referencing, talking about I'm it? talking about Lord of the Flies, the classic book where there are children on an island that <laughs> turn upon one another and create this terrible, you know, violent society. Right, right, right. It's society at its worst. So how does that relate to the giant bug that we get? It's, it's just, you're just it's calling it Lord of the Lord, Flies. It is called that. Is it really? Yes. I totally missed that. Okay. Well, well that's cute, devs. You read the text that they're calling out to you. I'm bad at that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> That's why the joke failed. I'm sorry. Take that, Jen. I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> this this final void scent comes out. It's essentially like a giant, ugly, like bug, flying bug creature. Yeah, it's pretty tanky. We're of course victorious. Of course. In the end, and uh, after completing the trial, we get word that Mormo has been active in Vesper Bay. The guildmasters are all energized and psyched up by our performance. Yeah. Here. So like they're like our performance. Uh, convinces them to walk back that traditional strat of eliminating risk and only engaging when victory is absolutely assured and and finally just becoming, um, you know, just fully embrace your power and and get in there. Back to Vesper Bay now, which is in western Thanalan. We have to go ask around for a bit and we hear that Mormo has lured some adventurers up north to presumably feed upon. So we follow the trail and we arrive in another dark cave. This one is full of ankle deep or probably waist deep for Lala's, <laughs> um, full of water. Uh, we see that Mormo is suspending a thaumaturge in the air, sucking her sucking dry juice, of Aether. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually pretty off-putting, this, this, this image. Um, it's uh, Boosie and his, his little fingers and this, this thaumaturge who is just like, uh, like fully scorpioned out in midair. Uh, getting her essence sucked Fully out. Fully scorpioned out. Scorpioned out. You know that term? Nope. <laughs> you know, like if you um, if you've got a lot of forward momentum and you fall on your face, the momentum follows th- your body through, and then your legs kind of curl up behind you like a scorpion tail. That's what that means. So I that's see. just the shape of her body. Understood. Okay. Okay. Buki steps up and he's like, you know, you want some of this here? Some yeah. Of this sweet juice. Yeah, and he smacks his ass a couple of times. <laughs> and. Uh, Mormo's like, yeah, sure. She drops the, the thaumaturge that she was draining mm-hmm. and turns to Buki instead and sucks them absolutely dry. This gives her enough energy to form a corporeal body. So she appears as a, a giant you know, bat-winged yeah, succubus She's finally powerful enough lady. to escape Boosie's um, physical form. So Boosie collapses. 
And out comes this goth queen, gray skin, black, greasy black hair, and these tattered black robes fluttering behind her. And the standing guild masters come up behind us, and they're very terrified they're and stuttering. They're in their little boots. But they're, they're still stalwart, and they're they back us it. up. Yep. So we join battle with Mormo, and it's us plus the four guild masters taking on this void scent. It's a pretty long and tough fight here. It is a long fight, yeah. And then she calls in reinforcements, so she summons skeletons up from the water as well later on. So now on. you get to use your AoEs that yep. you've been given. So you, you've got to you got to pull shit out. The whole bag of skills, you're going to have to use all of it. And we, of course, do. Of course. And at long last, she's defeated. <laughs> and the guildmasters rush over to Boosie, the alchemist. And he's recovering. He's okay, though. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the senior brother, Buki, he's in worse shape. He's still unconscious. Yeah. But Boosie pulls out a vial of this experimental concoction he's been working on. <gasps> the mana amplifying elixir. So that's so basically, they are having to like, literally what they need to do is like jumpstart the car that is Buki. Um, he doesn't have enough power in himself to reanimate. So they've got to jumpstart him with this mana amplifying elixir that holy shit, the alchemist genius brother Boosie has made. He pours it down Buki's throat and it fucking works. And everybody's like, oh my God, that was amazing. Holy shit, Boosie, you saved us all. See, like this is... And I think that finally got the message across that this is how he can contribute uh, to to Tamaturgy. This is how he can contribute to his family um, in a way that is... that He, he actually saw... Uh, real world results he saved his brother's life it's true yeah so continue on your alchemical path there bro and we have become a full-fledged thaumaturge at that point the end that's the quest we did it we quested what do you think jen uh i have i have a um you know a special place in my heart for the Tomaturge job. Uh, let's put aside your rose-colored, you know, first-timer glasses here. I think here. it informs my opinion. It was it was my f- my well, first job ever. Glad so it was know. my first job ever, and I hate that quest. Well, I don't and hate that, the quest. That's fair. I mean, I, I hate the Paladin quest to come, but more on that later. Okay, <laughs> go on. It, yeah, see, see, it colors your past. Like without the Paladin quest, you might have a different uh, opinion about the Gladiator quest. So you see how that goes. You see what you see what I'm working with here. But no, I, I loved it. And, and um, you know, obviously having five guild masters is, is very unique. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Five better than one, of course. Of course, yes. Um, and I, I love the fact that they have been forced to challenge um, the, the, you know, the, the rote teaching of, teachings of taumaturgy um, when, when actually faced with something that affects them directly with a member of their family. Um, it's a bummer that it took... Th- that aggressive of a of a situation to to get them to kind of maybe look back eh, maybe this strategy isn't the best but you know that's that's going to happen you're you're taught what you're taught they're in, they're indoctrinated um but they do have the awareness and the sense to step back and say hey we can do this better and we can and we will and um i i love that and um tomaturgy it's it's very cool it's very like visually um beautiful with the fire and the ice and the lightning you you feel I don't know. It's just, there's there's something very very satisfying about it. The the graphics of these spells are super cool. 
it's very complicated, but at the same time, I, I think it's. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was super fun. I liked it. I think this is the ideal class quest for a, a first time class. Wow! It's got it all. It, it has a <laughs> a coherent. It's got exciting and succinct plot. There are no steps here that don't serve to advance the story. There's no like go kill things for a level and then come back in five levels and and you know we'll continue the story here. Everything is part of the arc that takes place. Uh, it integrates yeah. the um, the mechanics of the story together. You learn about the different parts of being this class while you're going through the story as well. And also it's about being a thaumaturge. It's not about some other bullshit. Right. Like you, Gladiator is. Gladiator. <laughs> so I, I really think this this brings it all together into, into one great quest. Totally agree. And even, even the one quest that is a little errand boy, you know, like a little fetch questy, it still speaks to their behavior as taumaturges and, and basically being cowards and hiding behind their tomes. Yep. So, you know, good job. Good job, everybody. The one thing missing, unfortunately, was uh, details on the political influence of the Sacrarium in oh, Da. Oh, yeah, not, not a whisper of that. And apparently, you know, the Tomaturges, as, um, as we learned in the MSQ, apparently are ripe for bribery. Well, here's what I got so far. Um, I was able to turn up in the Encyclopedia Eorzea mentions about the priesthood of Nalthal, who have a hand in drafting laws in Ulda. So, you know, this, this is quite a bit of inference here, but I think that, you know, the, the church obviously is a big part of Ulda being life, death, and commerce in the city. And you can easily imagine that they had the ear of several politicians and um, rich individuals in the syndicate. So presumably, if you bribe the Sacrarium, they in turn will lean on some political figures here. However, as we've seen, the actual thaumaturges and the priesthood are not one the same necessarily. Right, yeah. You've got the, the, the back of house cool kids club where they blow stuff up. And then you've got the front of house who is the priesthood. And you don't see the thaumaturges when you come into the, the sacrarium, the ossuary, the, right. the, the whole complex. You, you see the big statue of Nalthal. You see the priests first. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the more politically motivated group. And that the thaumaturges, they, they do more of like the ceremonial rites with their corpse cleansing, and they blow stuff up and have a good time doing so. But I, I don't think that our friends in the um, the guild are the ones taking bribes and Agreed. moving minds. Yeah. Um, I, I, I simply don't think they have that um, in their skill set <laughs> in order to um, uh, manage the intricacies of, of political fuckery. Um, so that all checks out. Well, great. Yeah. Next time, we'll be resuming our Ulda main story quest, and we'll be finishing up the Ulda segment of MSQ for characters who begin in that starting city. And that's the end of episode four of Pod Return to the Waking Sands. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, subscribe if you want to hear more. We're still having a great time doing this, and we will. Catch you next week.